So a few weeks ago, we, in, the, in the Have Church, Will Travel series, we were talking about the church at Ephesus. And this passage uh, came up, and I was talking about it briefly and uh, wanted to come back to it. We're, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at family dynamics, but it's from a Christian perspective. So Paul, when he wrote this, was writing to Christian households. And uh, a great thing can happen if we learn to live this out, because it's not just for us. It's people will will look at us, and, and these the things we're going to talk about today, if we live them out, it's distinct, and it's different, and, it's a, and it can be something that God uses in the lives of families around us, so not just us. So, and we do that by being a, an example of a, of a better way, of, of a different way. We can learn to speak the truth in love and not just argue. We can learn to put away... Uh, lying and getting mad about stuff and and holding grudges and hating we can let that stuff go and set that aside we can earn a living uh, I love John Wesley he says make all you can save all you can so you can give all you can we make a living so that we can impact the world around us by the giving that we're able to do we can tame our tongue and 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 take it and and control that so that we can be a positive influence so that we can encourage others that we can be life givers in what we say instead of life takers or anybody know any energy vampires where you're around them and the next thing you know you're like oh you know yeah we we know people like we don't want to be that we want to be people who they want to be around us they want it's like i need some energy i want to go hang out with kit and people do (laughs) go hang out with kit you know because she's that type of a person she's an encourager and a life giver we live we can live lives that are counter-cultural and today we're going to discover that we can do our part in the context of our homes, our household, and our family. Now there are some issues uh, this morning, and I'm, and I'm not going to dodge those things. There's some words in here that uh, have meanings and things that I'm going to challenge today. I want to reframe some things for us. Uh, one of the first ones is the word head, right? In our, in our world... The head usually has to do with ruling over someone, right, and, and dominating someone or being, putting someone subordinate to you. And as a result of that, that that's the way it's been defined, I think in the Christian world we've accepted that, probably unthinkingly. It's just kind of this is what we were raised with, that's what it means. But I don't think that's what God is getting at here, that it, we believe that headship has to do with dictating and ruling over, but, but I want to revisit a passage earlier in in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 it says God has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things talking about Jesus the head over all things for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all the church which is his body that's us At first glance, this looks like it's all about, oh, Christ is, is the head in the sense that he's the one in charge, and God, he is the one in charge for sure, except that God made him the head over all things for the church. Christ is over everything else for our sake. What did Christ do for the church? He sacrificed his life. That's what it means. That's what headship in the church should look like. It's not lording it over people. Headship in the church is sacrificial. Now, we don't like that. 
as human beings. Naturally, we don't like that. I don't like that. I like defending my rights. Yeah, I have rights here, you know, and I want to defend them, and I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to live that out. God says, you know, let me turn that on its head. Christ is the head, and He died for you. Deal with it. Deal with it. So now, what does being ahead mean? It's sacrificial. And don't think that the world and the normal definitions of that's going to change, because it's not. It's the head means head of state, head of, you know, that's, you know. But for us, being the head as Christ is the head means that we live sacrificially our lives one to another, husband to wife, parent to child, throughout our, through in all of that we do. And Paul goes further in, in chapter 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, to grow up into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly promotes the body's growth in building itself in love. So I'm going to assert today that being the head means that we are to build each other up, not tear each other down, not lord it over anybody, but to build each other up. Christ, as our head, enables us to do what the body is made for, to become who we are called to be, each of us individually, but more than that, all of us communally. When we work together, think about if all of us got on the same page and got out in this community and lived this thing out. Katie bar the door, right? There's no stopping what God will do. That's the way the church functioned in the early days. That's why it was such a power in community. We have the ability to do that, build each other. That's, that's how our, our normal body works, right? If you want to get stronger, what do you do? You work out. You lift weights. If you want to get smarter, Study, yeah, books or Kindles. <laughs> Who still reads books? I don't, uh, book person, yeah. Just kind of like the, yeah. You train, your stamina increases, you read and, and you grow in knowledge and your, your wisdom increases, your knowledge increases. That's what building up in the body is. That's what being head is about. But there's something else that's a bit of a challenge. I want us to hold on to that idea about what it means to be head in this context. But he says something that um, as soon as it came out, I'm sure there were folks who went like this. Anybody know what that word is? Submit. <laughs> All right, here we go. Another guy going to tell me about submitting. Verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence. For Christ. Submission is one of those things we don't care for in our modern liberated world. We don't like it because it means setting our own rights aside, but we have to realize something in this context, that this is uh, not about subordination. This is not about one person being here, another piece of person being here. There's no sense of that in this. And I also want to point out, because there's other passages, there's a passage in Colossians that doesn't include this. I'm using Ephesians because it's the most complete 
passage. Peter also talks about marriage. So there's places in the Bible where if you grab one of those and you don't look at the whole picture, you'll miss this passage. And this passage is absolutely critical to understanding what God is talking about. Say, read that for me. What's it say? Submit to who? One another. This is not about the man over the woman or the woman over the man. This is submitting to one another for God's glory out of reverence to Christ. That's what we're talking about. And that's why if you exclude this passage, I hit on this the other day, that, that week, if you exclude this passage, you've got all kinds of bad teaching in the church. You've got to have this passage. If you exclude it, you've got one-upmanship, you've got... Uh, you, that subordination stuff works its way in, all of that stuff. You've got to grab hold of this. And I would argue as well that the only way that you can submit yourself to one another is if you're free to do so. To submit means that you're free. You get to choose. You get to choose whether you submit or not. And here's the key. And this is, this is where we get in trouble, and historically we have in the church, it, is that if, if it's not your choice, then it's not submission, it's oppression. Marriages are not supposed to be based on, our relationships are not supposed to be based on oppression. And if you take away the choice from someone, you are, it's not anything to do with submission. That has to do with oppressing them. And we have in the church, we have a domestic violence problem because men historically have taken this passage used it against women said you have to submit to me it says so right here and then abuse happens and you have to stay because you're supposed to submit to me that's not submission that's oppression say that with me that's not submission that's oppression we are not to live in oppression we're not and if you are Knock it off. <laughs> Knock it off. If you're not free, you're not acting as an equal, and that's what we're talking about here. If you're not free, you're not acting as an equal. If, if that's the case, that's not submission, that's oppression. Submission here means giving up my rights in order to honor Kit. Giving up my rights to honor Kit. And, le and, and let me push back harder against submission. Do you know that you submit to stuff every single day? Did you buy anything ever in your life? Anything ever? Yeah? Was that a yes? I yeah. yeah. So you submitted to whoever put the price on the price tag, and you submitted to buying it or not, because submission is free will choice. But you're submitting. How about driving? Okay, some people submit to the law and some people... <laughs> maybe not driving. How, how about murdering people? You submit to the law of the land. We submit to stuff all the time, but we hate the word because of what's been done with it and how it's been interpreted for us. And I want to reinterpret it because what the idea of oppression is critical for us in the church because we're not to oppress. But we submit to stuff all the time. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. 
some passages will, we've kind of retranslated it, and I'm okay with that, be subject to. We are subject to one another in reverence to God. This is very confronting to, to, ha- to talk about submission, and I know that. I don't like it. I don't particularly care for the word, but I also know that I don't like it because of the way that it's been interpreted for me over the years. In preparing for this, it kind of reinterpreted it for me. It's like, okay, hang on. I've allowed oppression into my life instead of understanding what God was getting at here. Anybody been in? Those of you who have been, I'm not going to ask that silly. There's lots of people who have. In relationships, are you subject to one another? Do you submit to one another? At times, at least. Yes. So perhaps we can not dodge the word. If you need to reframe it, be subject to, that's fine. But I don't think we need to dodge what it's saying. I think we need to explore and live into it. See, our natural inclination, oh, well, I, I tried to skip the bad passage. Go ahead, Drew. <laughs> Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So let's reread that a little bit, right? Wives are subject to their husbands. Are husbands subject to their wives? Yeah, we'll get at that in a minute because I'm going to beat on the husbands really bad today. The husband is the head of the wife, which head means what? Sacrificial living. As Christ is the head of the church because Christ died for us. Is this different from maybe what you've lived or seen in the past? This is what God's word is telling us. It's not telling us to lord it over each other, guys. Not supposed to do that. Remember that passage that said there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free? Equality is part of God's, God's providence. It's part of what he wants out of us. Now, are husbands more respo- are, are we more going to be held accountable by God? Absolutely we are, and I'll get to that. But our natural inclination is not to submit to one another, but to rule over one another. That's the natural inclination is to win, especially in our country. We want to win. I want to win. And, and that's the natural inclination. That makes it really hard in this passage because wives find it hard because they don't want to submit to the other, for, to the spouse. Husbands find it hard because this gives them a perfect reason to, to dominate and go, look, God said I get to do this. But neither of those responses is a Christian one. Paul's been telling us about how, how God renewed us in his image and, and through, through Christ's death and resurrection. And part of that renewing of that image is to end the competition between male and female, Jew and Gentile, Greek and free. You name the cli- rich and poor. We are not to have those distinctions within the church. Now, we do because we're human, but, but that's not God's perfect plan. God's perfect plan is set that stuff aside and let's live together moving forward. God wants women and men to work together in harmony. It's how he intended it in Genesis 2, to build one another up. 
In fact, if the husband does his part correctly, wives should be and would be empowered to use all the gifts that they have for God's glory. If, if, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, women should, our, our wives should be ex- becoming who God created them to be. should be our goal. If the head is to be sacrificial, if it's to be as Christ is the head of the church, then, then we're going to look for ways. I'm going to look for ways to help Kit become all she can be for God. That's my role. That's my role. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. I'm going to let you think about what that means for a minute. As Christ loved the church. How's that going? Are we setting aside our rights so that we can build our spouse up? Now, I'm sure if the circumstance arose that we would step in front of our wives to take a bullet, right? A heroic act. We would, we would do that. Now, that's not the norm. We don't usually have to do that, right? Well, except Bob. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Bob would be like, hey, Beth. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. Those are are extreme circumstances. God is talking about the everyday, guys. Am I willing to set aside my life in that kind? Am I willing to step aside a, a daily life bullet for Kit? That's harder. That's harder. Am I doing all that I can to nurture and care for her, to love her the way that we love ourselves? See, it saddens me when I, when I see men using this passage, because it's usually men who do this. And, 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 and when they use this passage to put down their wives, to stop them from exercising, or, or to be in a small group and, and see someone denigrate their spouse. That, that saddens me when that happens. That's not nourishing. That's not tenderly caring for them at all. So let's look at what it means to be the head of the wife the way Christ is the head of the church. The husband's to be the unifying force. Christ is our unifying force in the church. That's the husband's role in the family, to be the unifying force, to live that out fully. To give up some of our own freedom so that our, our spouse and our children can become all that they are called to be by God. To be willing to do that. And that's a big responsibility, right? That's part of being the head that, that we don't talk about much in the church. Do you know more, more women go to church than men? And yet we have passages like this that say that men are going to be held accountable. And I know that's patriarchal, but it is what Scripture says. We're going to be held accountable for the way that we interact and lead and support and serve our families. One day we're going to answer for that. 
That's a big deal. I know the weight of that, both in my family, but it's also a weight that pastors carry. I'm responsible for y'all. Can you believe that? That's just crazy talk. (laughs) But it's true. As the shepherd of this church, I have responsibility for your spiritual well-being and your spiritual growth. Husbands in the family have responsibility for for the spiritual well-being of of their family. But what was that first passage? Submit yourselves, therefore, to one another. So it's not that that your spouse doesn't have any responsibility. When we get this right and we're serving one another, the thing that I put in when when I'm doing weddings is is in everyone so far, I put in there that rare is the marriage that isn't successful where the husband and wife we're trying we're, we're not trying to out we're, we're trying to outserve one another. In other words, if we try to outserve one another, a lot of the stuff that that gets in the way of marriages won't. It won't. And I, I mean I'm I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And that's what we try to do is we try to lift each other up, not tear each other down. Do we always agree? <laughs> No, we don't always agree. But we don't disagree in a way that's hateful. And I hope that's true for you. So that brings us to parents and children. And this is a different kind of relationship. If parents or if children are going to grow to maturity and contribute to the harmony and well-being of the family, then kids, you've got to learn how to obey your parents. You've got to learn how to do that. See, the instruction here is actually stronger than for husbands and w- or wives. Children are not equals with parents. Did you know that parents know more than their kids? <laughs> okay, when they're young, not when they hit their teens. When they hit their <laughs> teens. <laughs> and there's... <laughs> yes, Drew. Believe it or not, <laughs> both Andy and Christy know more than you do. <laughs> I love teenage years. And Paul gives two reasons that, that kids should obey their parents. The first is simply that it's right, that, that it's the natural order of things. Uh, children especially young children, are not yet able to understand and know the things that their parents do. And so the first is simply that. Um, and it does worry me a little when, when I see parents who are unwilling to discipline their kids because it's important to, 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 to do that, especially when they're kids. Because I, I used to, to be part of and, and help teach a thing called screen-free parenting. And, and what that was is, is a, it's a curriculum and a process to help parents to um, be better able to establish consequences for the kids and, and to help them to grow. Um, and, but one of the things that they say in there, which I really love, I- is, is that our goal is not to raise great kids. Our, our role is to g- raise great adults. We don't wanna, we're, we're not just concerned with raising great kids. We want to raise great adults. So they would have things in there w- about consequences. Would you rather your, ki- your, your, your seven-year-old spent all their allowance on candy and then saw something they really wanted and didn't have the money and they, and they had buyer's remorse over candy. Or how about when they, or when they grow up and they've never experienced that kind of thing and they buy a Humvee 
you know, and they go deeply in debt, and, and they lose it, it gets repossessed, and they experience buyer's remorse that way. We'd rather that they experience it in a safer way than, than, than later on when they grow up. Now, there kids are going to make some decisions that they're going to make, and, and, and there's no way around that. Some are going to be dangerous. Um, but we want them to experience consequences at a young age so that as they get older, they begin to understand, okay, if I make this choice, then there's going to be a consequence for it. And that's what we want to do as parents. The second is that he points out that this is God's command. Um, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long uh, is one of the commandments. And it's a commandment with a promise. So when we honor our parents, and that's for all of us, then, then it, it provides a blessing. So obedience um, to parents it will result in a blessing for children, just as obedience to God results in a blessing for us as adults. But here's the thing, parents, we're not out of it either, right? I love this next picture. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline <laughs> and instruction of the Lord. Be careful how you discipline your kids. If you just create conflict in your family and you're not disciplining in a loving way, then you're, you're, you're creating some issues that, that will, will cause you some trouble later. Now, obviously, a, a seven, eight-year-old is going to d- need discipline different from a 16-year-old um, who's running the pro presenter. <laughs> but so, so there's difference. As kids grow, then we need to, you know, incorporate more conversation in there. Sometimes, though, when they're younger, um, it doesn't arguing about stuff and explaining to a three-year-old about why you want them to do something is not as effective as it will be as they grow older. Uh, but so our parenting has to change as, as they grow older and and into, into maturity, then we have to adjust what we're doing. It's part of the role of being a parent. It's part of the role of being a parent. And the model for us as parents is God's. It's our Heavenly Father. We need to treat our kids the way that our Heavenly Father treats us. And that means that just as the husband lays down his life for the wife, so the parents are called to treat their children with, with a sort of love and patience and forgiveness that God extends to us same love and forgiveness that God extends to us. That's the way that, it, that it's designed um, to work. So this morning is, is, I hope, challenging. It certainly was challenging for me. Um, but there is a real opportunity for us in the church if we're willing to, to look at, at what it means to be subject to one another and to live that out and not to live it out in a domination way, but you know, to sub- it's not about oppression. It's about you know submission, setting our, our own rights aside for the benefit of our of the sp- of our spouse. That's what it means to live as Christ would live. And let me make this note too before we close: is that if any one of the parties decides not to do that, if if we decide not to submit to one another, then this falls apart. It just falls. You know, it's not. Because then, it be, then someone is hanging on to, I have a right to do this. And you may well have that right. But if I'm, if I'm lording it over someone, then this re- re- the healthy Christian relationship and, and the household and home will struggle. And you see that quite often, unfortunately. Um, it's not easy to live this way. 
It's not easy. But it is what we're called to. It's a sacrificial kind of living. And I will say that it's worth it. My experience certainly is that it's worth it. Kit and I had the kind of relationship that I would have never dreamed possible in, in my addiction years. I didn't know how to do a relationship. I knew how to take hostages, but I didn't know how to do a relationship. And we, are a, we have a relationship that is incredibly impossible for us to have. Both sides of that, but you know, that's part of it. And I'm very grateful for that. But I had to learn that I didn't have to win every battle and that my, I didn't have to, you know, well, I deserve, you know, I deserve. You ever say that to your spouse? I, I deserve, you know. So I hope that that makes sense. I, I hope that it reframes some things. And, and I hope that makes you think. I hope that makes you think and examine. If you'll bow with me. Father, we come.